for years, salon employees have been pitted against independence in this sort of battle and debate about what's the right model, where should they go. Today, we're going to have a super healthy conversation with industry professionals that share experiences from all the various models, whether it be commission-based salons, booth renter salons, independent suite owners and operators to kind of bring the whole discussion together. You are not going to want to miss it. Yeah, this conversation is one that I have wanted to listen to for years now because I feel like there are so many biases and you really only hear one side of the story. Um, and in this conversation, you got to hear every side of the story and the pros and cons of each structure. So this is definitely an episode I'll be saving for future reference to be able to show to my own employees in my own salon. Yeah, it makes sense. Sarah, I was so impressed with how everybody... You know, even though they're coming from different sides of the table, per se, uh, there was definitely a common theme of, you know, just wanting to provide, you know, information that's going to help people make the right decision for them. Uh, really impressive. Get ready. Uh, let's get right into it. Welcome to the Salon Scoop, a podcast by Salon SOS. I'm your host, Scott Moon, the founder of Salon SOS. And I'm obsessed with helping salon professionals live their best life. In this show, we shop talk all things salon to bring you real life stories, debates, entertainment, and inspiration to help you find happiness and success in this beautiful industry. If you work in a salon industry in any capacity, this podcast is open to you. So set down your scissors or rinse out that toner and let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of the Salon Scoop podcast. We are in for a juicy episode today and so excited to have all these guests with us. We're going to have a fun discussion around a hot topic that's been in our industry now for several years and it does bring up a little bit of emotion from time to time. We've consistently for years and years had you know commission-based salons, booth renter salons, but over the last several years there's been a growing influx of the independent self-employed stylists and salon suites. And there has been a lot of emotion in our industry about how that's impacting the overall industry. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of it today with our wonderful panel. Uh, this is a salon SOS roundtable discussion where we're going to talk about hot topics in our industry. And today it's all about commission-based salons, booth renter salons, and salon suites and really exploring the, all the dynamics around this, uh, these different, I guess, options that now exist in our industry. So we've got a panel of experts from across North America, East Coast, Central, West Coast. Happy to have you. Why don't we just take a quick moment? We've got our, our wonderful co-host, obviously, Sarah from, uh, from Salon SOS with us. Um, but for our four guests, why don't you quickly introduce yourselves and tell us just your experience that you're sort of bringing uh, to the table as it relates to commission, booth renter and salon suite so that our audience can uh, can get to know you. Perfect. So my name is Kara Furman. I am from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan in Canada. Um, and I joke that I kind of grew up in the salon. My mom was a hairstylist as well. Um, so I have been in my doing the math. I was like, oh God, all right. Um, but yeah, kind of um, about 10 years into it, I decided to branch out and actually open more of a um, 
co-op, if you will. So we were still an incorporated company, myself and two other stylists, um, which was great for what it was. It definitely gave me a taste and realization that, okay, yes, you do as much of you as much as I said, I would never open a salon, it was time. Um, so from there, I actually went back to a commission salon while I built out my current salon. So Guide has been open for four years and then, crazy person I am, decided to also open a salon suite business. So open that, it'll be a year this June. So a space with 15 suites. We've got a couple daily um, hourly rentals for hair and one for more aesthetic space, a couple event spaces, a photography suite. So um, yeah, I definitely have both models so I can see pros and cons to both for sure. Amazing. Amazing. Well, happy to have you with us, Kara, and we'll definitely be jumping into some of your experiences on both, uh, both those sides. So great. Who's next, Larry? Yeah, hello. Um, thanks for having me. Um, so I am out here in California in, in uh, the greater Sacramento area, Folsom and Roseville. Um, so my background is actually in law enforcement. I have 15 years of law enforcement. Um, I was a police officer, a detective, um, even had a little stint with the DEA for four years. Um, and my wife and I uh, opened a booth rental salon during that time and ended up owning two booth rental salons with about 50 booth renters. And then, um, we switched to, uh, well, actually went to the summit, uh, in 2012 and we became, we started slowly transitioning to commission based. We now have four salons, um, and they're, they're 99% employee commission only. And we do have a few leftover booth renters um, who we love. And so I, I have great, I have a pretty good experience uh, both sides of the spectrum. Nice. And how many employees would you have now across the four, the four salons? Approximately 70. Wow. Okay. So big, uh, big operation uh, going there. Now, I'm sure everybody noticed Larry took the opportunity to talk about his law enforcement background, DEA. Uh, I'm sure that everybody all of a sudden is just kind of <coughs> re, uh, re <laughs> re-scripted what they, what they might want to say here. Uh, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> so I'm out. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for warning us in advance, Larry. <laughs> all right. Who, uh, uh, who else would like to introduce themselves next? Uh, I'll take the opportunity. My name is Hunter Donia. Thank you so much for having me and asking me to be here with you guys today. I'm super excited to get into it. I am based out of central Pennsylvania. And I also care, I would say that I like grew up in a salon, not because my family was into it, but because I started um, when I was in high school, I did my high school's uh, vocational program. And I started at a salon as a general assistant, a commission salon. As a general assistant at the age of 16, I graduated with my cosmetology license before I uh, before I graduated high school. I got my cosmetology license and I worked in a commission salon for a couple of years. And then I transitioned into being in my own suite, which I have been in now for two years. And I am also um, taking a big part of my career right now and moving it into education. And so I am educating mostly uh, independent stylists at this time. So I talk to them and independent stylists of all kinds. So either booth rental or suite, whatever they may be. 
And so I have some pretty good perspective as somebody who's like keeping their finger on the pulse of a lot of independents just like me too. So I'm really excited to contribute to the conversation and to see where it goes and see um, what you all have to say as well too. Awesome, yeah. And Hunter's being humble because uh, as an independent, Styles in his suite, he's absolutely crushing it. So uh, that's an <laughs> amazing success story. And obviously we're gonna be interested to sort of delve into uh, to understanding his perspective as well. So, um, and Gavin, that leaves, uh, that leaves you. Tell us about your story. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, I uh, grew up in the beauty industry myself. So I was the same, the young kid. I think when I was born, my mother already owned a salon. Um, and then I've been consulting for Summit and a part of Summit for about 20 years. So I think that's where a lot of my knowledge is going to come from, traveling from East Coast, West Coast, Canada even. And so just really getting a good basis from, you know, sea to shining sea, as well as the different models. Um, I lead the West Coast, which would be everything west of Colorado for Summit. And because of um, managing a team of about 12 or 13 coaches, um, I'm always having to kind of work with them, work through different scenarios, situations, um, opportunities, what, whatnot. And those can be not just employee models. Sometimes they're 100% um, self-employed model that wants to transition over to a hybrid model. It could be a hybrid model that wants to transition to an entirely um, employee-based model. So I think that's where a lot of my contribution today will come from, is just basing upon some of those um, real-life experiences. And then also my wife and I own a salon here in Minnesota. And that salon, we have about 24 employees. So that would be an employee-based salon. So um, that's really just kind of where I come from, Scott. Nice. Amazing. Well... I'm very grateful to have all four of you joining us uh, joining us today. It's going to be fun to have sort of a, uh, a nice, healthy sort of conversation, debate, discussion about this uh, important topic in our industry. And it's great that you each have kind of unique experiences and perspectives that you'll be able to share. So let's just delve right in. I mean, there's clearly been a shift in our industry. Everyone has seen it and felt it over the last, let's say, five to eight years uh, towards a different type of self-employed stylist or else or esthetician right i mean there's always been employee-based salons there's always been booth renter salons but this whole concept of the salon suites really kind of took fire um, and has become quite you know quite big and obviously a popular option just sort of question to everybody here like why do you think that this model has become so prevalent in our industry over the last several years well, Scott, I think it was, I saw it moving in that way prior to the pandemic. Um, you were starting to see the employee-based salon companies evolve over into a rental model where, like you and I had talked earlier, I, I saw right before the pandemic, you were still like the prevalent model, I think, was the open salon for, format that had independent self-employed stylists inside of it. There were starting to be more studios. Um, leading up into the pandemic, but I think just the timing of the pandemic and the timing of the trend, it was already moving that way. I think the pandemic just kind of put it on steroids and it just really, um, I think, happened even faster. And so I think that was a piece of it. But if I had to really answer why I think overall it was moving in that direction, even before the pandemic, I have to go back to, I think it's the lack of leadership in the beauty industry. That's my two cents is 
in order to have a really well-led, um, well-run employee-based model, you have to be a dynamic leader in order to really kind of maximize that potential there. And I think what happens has happened over many, many years, and I think there's many other things that have contributed to it, but I think one of the catalysts is that back, um, you know, people who have worked for employee-based companies, some of those companies, and sadly, I think many of them, there just isn't a lot of additional support beyond just commission. So at the end of the day, it's like, what are you kind of working for? And it's like, well, I work for 55% commission, or I work for 60 or 50 or whatever those are. But when you try to ask more beyond that, like, what about benefits? What about education? What about coaching and support? I think for the account, for the salons through all those years that never really offered much more, I think I can see why stylists were like, what am I doing this for? Why am I sharing part of my income with an owner that I really am not seeing much of a benefit from? So because of that, I think it just naturally started evolving where if I can't you know, get the support that I need here, I'll just peel off and kind of seek something that I can't find and then in essence, start my own. Then do it on your own. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, Hunter, we don't need your, your necessarily uh, reasons necessarily why you made the switch yourself, but coming from that perspective that you, you know, you have made that move. Have you seen something in the industry? Like, why do you think it's been so prevalent over the last several years? Um, I think that was a really great observation, Gavin, how like how the trend was already kind of sneaking in because I actually opened up my suite right when my quarantine lifted. So like it was like after our quarantine in Pennsylvania. And so it was in the middle of the pandemic. But funny enough, like before the pandemic happened, maybe like a couple months prior, I was looking into suites and I like, and I was like, at the time I was like, oh, well, you know, I don't think it's the right fit for me. Like maybe that's like a five year down the line situation, but a lot of consumer behavior analysts and business people out there are saying that the pandemic has moved us forward like 10 years, like in the way that people make moves within business and the way that consumers spend money. And I think that that just goes to show you like with, with, with the way that with what we're talking about right now, I think that that's not an exception to, you know, that observation. And I think that people had a lot of time to, well, at least I did sit down and like educate myself and really evaluate, right, where they want to be, what their true potential was. And I mean, how, how many educators and how many things did you see all over social media that were like sharing business tips and like how to make money right now and like, how to get more clients when you come back out from the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that people just really took the time to like educate themselves, reevaluate their things and then move on from there. And I think that that, I mean, that was the decision for me. So. Hunter, I think honestly, during the pandemic, there was a lot of self-reflection uh, and sort of evaluation, like you mentioned, but let's be honest, there was also a heck of a lot of Netflix binge watching, right? So <laughs> there was there was a little bit of a little bit of both uh, happening, but certainly, you know, that's something mentality wise, people started to think, the, you know, think differently. Um, Larry, what about what about you? What do you think has become kind of the reason why it's become so prevalent, so popular in our industry, these uh, these suites? Well, it's interesting because I'm in California, so it's probably been popular here longer. And so the independent contractor model is is what I kind of grew up in the industry with back in, you know, 2006 when we opened our first salon. That's why we opened Booth Rent. And then when the suites came along, it 
made made sense. I mean, to the extent that I knew how much people really uh, wanted to own their own salons or wanted to be in charge of their own careers. Um, so I, <clears throat> that's all I've ever known, if I'm honest, just that mentality anyways. But I would agree with Gavin 100%. Um, the only, the thing, you know, the salons that were strong commission in California, and, and as he was saying, and I started thinking they had good leaders. I mean, they were, they were well-known leaders who, um, who ran, you know, really good programs and, um, were respected and, uh, and, and I, and the people that worked there, um, did, they felt like they were also getting, getting something out of it. And, and I'm also a consultant. Uh, with the summit gavin is actually my my boss uh and uh so of course i'm going to agree with everything he says um <laughs> Good but i just I, I actually just got off the zoom with one of my clients and it was so exciting to hear him he's in california as well and him to transition in his mind towards you know okay so i have these uh, associates assistants and they they really are helping me make a lot of money and you know what? I think I actually think I do owe it to them to start. I need to make it really worth their while. I, you know, I really do need to worry about their future and uh, and make sure I'm paying them appropriately. And so, and it it we've been zooming for maybe you know a couple months, and it's only hitting them now. But I mean, it's hitting them, which is great. So so it really just kind of went. I just got off the call, so it went right in line with what Gavin's saying. I, I don't know that people even know that they need to be strong leaders who really take care of their people. Um, so, you know, without that, then then definitely the trend's going to keep going in that in that independent that yeah. direction. I'm going to throw something maybe a little bit controversial, uh, you know, into the play here. Like you, you're both talking about sort of you know lack of leadership in the in the standard industry uh, models, which I I fully agree with. I also found. If you look outside of the salon industry and just to other industries, there's been a wave over the last 10 to 15 years of the popularity of entrepreneurship, right? I think it's something that has kind of taken over in our society that it's it's cool now to own your own business and to go out and do your own thing. And, you know, even in social media, there's this sort of rise of, you know, personal brands and the ability to do that. Our society as a whole has definitely become more and more individualistic. And I would argue that there's some underlying trends from those just sort of general societal uh, trends that have influenced people in our industry to kind of utilize that as a push to sort of, you know, be independent and be their own boss, be an entrepreneur inside of our industry, which, you know, the opportunity for suites kind of helped to propel that. So. As another sort of thought perspective, Kara, I wanted to sort of jump with, in with you a little bit. I mean, you followed this trend by actually opening up salon suites, like you said, a little bit of, about a year ago. Um, but you didn't give up your commission-based salon. So why did you decide to open up the suites on top of your commission salon? I mean, you've kind of got one foot in each sandbox, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because too in Saskatchewan, I would say I'm probably the only salon suite model that's here. So it's definitely a model that I've been watching and watching and watching and interested. Yeah. And especially when I first left my commission salon, if there was salon suites available, I would have been all over that. That is exactly what I would have wanted. Just me, myself, and I, 
control of everything, just bang her out, get her done. Thank goodness that wasn't because I wouldn't be where I am now, not even doing hair behind the chair. Um, but yeah, I was watching this model and especially Alberta would be the closest that it was blowing up. And really me being me, I love change and I love options. And I think everyone should work towards what they want. Um, so it was a matter of, I know someone's going to come and open one here and I want it to be me. Um, and even just conversations I've had with a lot of stylists, we have loads of independent renters in Saskatoon. Um, and just like more community things I was doing, all the people that were coming to those were independent. So it's like, okay, you guys need something like you're lacking that community, but you want to do your own thing. So it just kind of made sense. And I had actually, again, funny timing with COVID. I was pretty much like ready to start um, like signing a lease with a space. COVID hits. I was like, praise be, thank God I'm not building out a space right now. Like <laughs> got it off of the table. I was like, no, like guide my commission salon is my focus now. And then kind of getting out of survival is like, okay, actually I wasn't even putting it on the table. A uh, real estate agent, she's like, you got to come see this space because it was a current space that someone was out of because of COVID that already was quite easily, not easily because that's was traumatizing, but um, had some of the bones of that it would be an easier build out. And post COVID too, it was a lot of people that were then in that rental environment that they extra had no control over what that person's opinion was, how they were handling their clients, if they're masking, if they're not, if they're sanitization. So it really, again, just propelled the people that were maybe on the fence about it that were like, no, we're ready now. Let's go. So, um, but no, and going back to the commission model, because then I'm like, okay, I've got to talk to my team about this. I'm like, this will just be another thing you can work towards on your career path. Like this can be an option. And even if you were really excited about it and then they're like, why would we actually leave? Like we've got it really good right now. So I was like, okay, well that makes me feel good also, but also there was that, and still is that lack of conversation of commission independent, like pros and cons, even your time versus money made, you know, like there's yeah. a huge missing gap with that. Um, so yeah. I'll yeah. I'm, I'm happy that you say that because that is definitely, there's a lack of information and education out there. And anyway, hopefully mm -hmm. this discussion, you know, we'll be able to add a little bit to that by having all sorts of perspectives. And I know, uh, you know, Gavin has some, uh, I believe some more sort of data uh, that he'll be able to share with us in a, in a little bit as well. So um Larry, let's come back to you. I'm curious because you kind of went against this trend, right? That we're saying that there's a trend over the last several years of going towards more independent. Uh, but you had the booth renter salons and you have been over the last, I know, 10 years or so, been transitioning them to employee-based commission salons. Um, kind of why did you decide to go in that direction? Um, I, in the end, it was what I believed in. Um and so when I left law enforcement I, and we had the booth rental salons, I, um, I loved it. Um, I, the, the, the people that worked there were our friends, um, but there was just a, a large lack of systems, structure, accountability. I really didn't feel like we were doing anybody any justice. 
And, um, you know, I, I guess it just came back down to the need for leadership and the ability to, to, um, to insert some leadership in everybody's life and, um, and help them in areas where I knew they needed help. Uh, some were making really good money. Um, some were not, and a lot were making mistakes. Um, not, e- not even just in business, but in life. And I knew coming from law enforcement and, and, you know, playing sports growing up and, and having good leaders in my life, what a difference leadership makes in, in people's lives. And, um, as we started to um, take on employees and really, um, um, you know, make the effort to mentor them and give them direction, I saw how po- just the really positive influence that we were making. And honestly, again, it just comes down to I, I knew in my heart that it was the right thing. It was the right thing to start to take the people uh, that graduate from cosmetology school and mentor them with with their life, with their finances, with their career. Um, and oddly enough, I, we get as many applicants as you can imagine. So there are a lot of people who are looking for that and need that. And then, and then at some point, some of them, uh, you know, maybe many of them will go to suites or open their own salon and many say that they want to, and that's totally okay. Um, but I, I just, Again, it's, it just felt like the right thing. I know in my heart that it is the right thing, so I feel good about it. Amazing, that's great. And you, you talked about leadership there. I know Hunter, uh, you share with me that you had a great leader uh, that you worked with in your commission-based salon, um, but you still turned out to kind of work independently. In what, what prompted you to make that move? Um, so that is correct. I actually had the most amazing salon owner that I have ever met or seen thus far, like going, like even after educating and like educating in a bunch of commission salons, I was at a commission salon that the owner was absolutely amazing, like fantastic. But I felt like there, this, that was just my next step was to go and to be in the suite. And I knew that I was going to be able to do more and take control of everything that I wanted to happen. And I knew that I was going to be able to grow and excel. And it was something that I really, really wanted to do. And so I even told my salon owner, like, this is nothing like this, this, you could not have done anything differently. Right. And so I love hearing, you know, like leaders such as Larry and and you saying, um, you know, sometimes people are going to come in here and eventually they may, right. Go off and do their own thing. And like, you're okay with that. I think that is such a mature and like more abundance mindset to be leading your business with. And I think that that attracts high performers and that attracts people and honestly, even retains people too. Like, um, and, and, and I think that's playing the long-term game versus the short-term game. And I really have a lot of respect for that. And I'm at a point in my suite where I'm not taking on certain services because they're outside of my specialty. And I just have so much demand on my schedule and guess where I send all of those clients back to that salon because I had an excellent experience. She wished me the best. She gave me my client's phone numbers and like all of that, <laughs> like she set me up and in, and, and throughout and throughout my entire time there, she was always, she always asked me like, what's your goal. And even if your goal doesn't mean like you still being here, like if, if we're not a part of that, like 
five-year journey, then that's okay, but I want to help you get there. And I think that that was really inspiring for me. And that's why I will always talk highly of her and always send her as much business as possible. So yeah, that was my, that was my situation. I just felt as if like, I, this was my next step. Like I, I was very confident and excited to take control of my own career and be the owner of it, you know? And um, I'm really got, glad that I went ahead and did it. That's fantastic. And it's actually really nice that you, you shared that. I mean, to me, that's the ultimate in leadership is that you care more about the success and well-being of your employees than your own personal gains, right? And sometimes the best thing for the employee is to, you know, push them to grow outside of potentially the, the boundaries and limits that you have. And you know that that's the right thing for them and you support them and able to achieve those, you know, those objectives and personal goals for themselves. And that's ultimate leadership. Uh, Gavin, you have a unique perspective in all this. Like you see the business coaching side of all these different models, right? From your various experiences. Can you share with us any data, um, you know, that you might've gathered around the, these models? You know, Karen mentioned there's a lack of education for people about, you know, what the advantages and disadvantages are when it comes down to the, the business side of independent versus being an employee. Um, anything that you can sort of provide with us, uh, provide us that, sort of shares yeah. the differences between the models? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I always like think of if I have a nine-year-old daughter and she, uh, we have two generations. My mother, my mother-in-law both had hair licenses. Uh, my wife has a hair license. So I kind of think of one day, I hope that she'll have the third uh, generation of hair license. So when I say that, I'm talking to all of you as if, okay, this is what I'd tell my daughter. Doesn't matter what model you go to. It matters with, you know, find your joy, find your happiness, find the thing that's really going to get you up out of bed and get you excited. But when it comes to money, which I think we, at some point, the artist has to hold the mirror up and say, there is money somewhere in this career path. Um, and that's just the summit side of me saying, no matter what model you're going to, you know, aim towards or, or, you know, go towards, you still have to look at the money. And so when I look at the money, here's what I want everyone to know is if you look at what you pay in rent as a self-employed stylist, whatever that rent amount is, the goal would be that that rent, you're multiplying that rent every single week. So I'll use an example. If I am getting charged $250 a week for my space, I need to generate eight times that amount, which would be $2,000 in weekly sales. So I'll say that one more time. If I'm paying $250 a week in rent, I need to um, grow my service sales eight times what my weekly rent would be. So $250 times eight is $2,000. At the end of the week, when I hang up my cheers and I'm heading to my you know, quality of life at home and whatever, I should have generated eight times my weekly rent, or in this example, 2000. Now, what I want others to hear also is when I'm not doing that, um, what does that look like? And so I'm, I'm actually going to tell you, because I prepared for this. If you take your rent, so I'm going to go back to the 250 a week, yep. just use that as an example. If we're only doing three times the rent, so let's just say I did three times my rent this week, Scott. I only did $750 this week in total service sales. Yep. That is the equivalent commission. If you 
took it over to an employee model, that is the equivalent commission of earning 32% commission. So again, if you were my daughter and you're like, I, I'm paying 250 a week, what'd you do last week? I did 750, dad. It's like you did three times your rent. That is the equivalent of a 32% commission rate. So just know that when you do all the math and I'll keep going. If you do four times your rent, it's gonna be the equivalent of a 40% commission rate. If you do five times your rent, you're gonna be close to about 45% commission rate. If you did six times, 48%. Seven times your rent would be close to 49% commission. Eight times your rent is what I was saying to us at Summit when we coach self-employed stylists. That's where we really try to get people is eight times their weekly rent, which would be the equivalent of 53% commission. And then the last two, Scott, would be if I can do weekly rent times nine, I'm at 54% commission. And if I can do weekly rent times 10, I'm close to about 57% commission. So again, I'm not one to here to argue, you know, what's better or worse. I just kind of look at it as find that happiness, find that joy, find what gets you up out of bed, but then thrive at what you're doing. So whether either of the models make the money that you're worth for your time, for your investment, for your families. So I think that's um, a key piece of it. Um, And then one other maybe data point would be whatever you're paying per square foot. So this is where if we deconstructed that $2, that $250 a week, if that's what we were paying each week, let's just say hypothetically without getting into a calculator, let's just say that's about $25 a square foot. Whatever I'm renting, my room, my space, if I can figure out what I'm paying per square foot, like as a salon owner, that's always a number before I sign a new lease for the entire space of the company. You know, that's one that I'm always trying to negotiate and work or work with. But for once sure. as, a, as a self-employed stylist, if you can okay. figure out that number, what is my rent per square foot? Then let's just take, you find out it's $25 a square foot. You need to average for your average ticket three times as a minimum your square foot average. So if I'm at $25 a square foot, I need to be at a $75 average ticket. And that would be the minimum. Um, What you don't want is someone who's going to pay $25 a square foot and their average ticket maybe is only two times. They're only doing $50. So it kind of, my, my analogy of that is if I rented space in Beverly Hills and I pay premium square footage, my average ticket for every client I touch should be super high because I'm paying premium square footage. Versus the opposite, if I'm in a little blue collar town like I grew up in Kokomo, Indiana, and I'm only paying $14 a square foot, yeah, I can have a much lower average service ticket in Kokomo than I would in Hollywood, California, or Beverly Hills, or whatever. But those two things, I think, if every self-employed stylist knew what that was, um, I think it would give them something to shoot for and hopefully change their quality of life just by you know, their goal setting and earning potential. Yeah, and at least understanding it, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that, Gavin. I think that that scale, um, you know, hopefully listeners will will start to, you know, take out a calculator and, and do a little bit of math for the, for themselves, right? And I think it's great if you're currently, uh, you know, a commission-based employee uh, in a salon and you're, you've been considering switching out on your own into a suite, 
you know, just having that sense of what you mentioned there, it's like, okay, well, if I'm currently making, you know, 45% commission, then I need to be, uh, you know, making at least, I think you said six times my, yeah. uh, six times my rent. Uh, and that at least gives people a bit of a sense where they can make some calculations to see what's realistic or not. And, you know, obviously there's more to it than just the financial side as well. Uh, you know, maybe the environment is something that's important that's going to bring you success. And, and to me, success is happiness, right? Uh, success is not how much money you make. Success is how happy you are in your life and your ability to just be fulfilled with what you want to be doing. Um with your time. So, but anyways, that's fantastic information. Thank you so much for, uh, for sharing that. Now, one element that I want to touch upon uh, here on, in the different models that, you know, we've been talking about the service pricing, but retail sales, we know is such a critical part of being, you know, financially um, stable, you know, in our industry. Uh, it brings a lot from the revenue side that's, that's important. Um, how does everybody feel that retail sales of professional products are impacted by those three models we've been discussing, commission-based, booth renter, and independent salon suite owners? That'll be a question to the floor. I guess I could speak to, to both since I've had both and still currently uh, go through the numbers of both, um, both groups. Um, it, in the end, that actually will come down a lot to leadership as well. But if there is a lack of leadership, I would say the booth rental will do pretty well. Uh, they will be motivated, I think, by the pure cash or the the, the rent discount. But um, as it, you know, in a in a summit salon where we're we're very. Um, where it's part of our uh, career path and we're really affiliated with the larger brands and, and uh, get a lot of the training and then, um, um, and we have different uh, avenues for career growth, uh, you know, maybe becoming a, a, uh, an artist for a certain line or, or brand or, or all those sorts of things. Uh, people will get excited and, and, and it will become a cultural thing. Uh, where, you know, it, it can very much happen in a commission-based salon, of course. Um, but pound for pound for me in the beginning, because I wasn't that good at understanding how to motivate down that path, my booth runners actually did a little better at retail sales because they were purely motivated by getting that rent discount. Um, so, you know, it can go either, to me, it could go either way. But on the commission side, I think you have to have, it's, from my experience, and Gavin may be able to speak better about this, um, you have there has to be some leadership and some systems and uh, very clear, clear retail uh, oriented systems in place, front desk systems, et cetera, to to grow that that retail sales. Yeah, Hunter, I want to hear from you, like as an as an individual stylist. Uh, you know, you worked in a commission based salon, and then you've worked on your own. How do you? How have you seen the differences and how do you manage retail as a independent stylist in a suite? So again, I had a really great um, salon owner. <laughs> so uh, we did have systems in place um, in which uh, definitely incentivized uh, retail sales and um, you know, made sure that it was definitely a part of the business and a part of our daily responsibilities as hairstylists. However, I saw, you know, of, I mean, on, honestly, like half of the employee stylists be very resistant towards that. And I even saw 
in the first commission salon that I was at, when they started to try to implement these systems and try to make retail a much larger part of, of their culture, that a lot of stylists, like, they dipped like eventually. And, and it was kind of like the beginning of the downfall for them, unfortunately. And I'm not by any means saying that, you know, that you, that as a commission salon that you shouldn't be creating a culture with retail, because I'm a firm believer in retail. I think it's super powerful. And, um, for so many different reasons, but I think that when you try to like force stylus into a box, especially like to like love something that they don't necessarily love, versus working with them to make it work for them in the way that they want it to work. I think that you can really turn some people off. And I, and I, me personally, and I've seen so many, because I educate a lot of independent stylists and suite stylists, um, I've seen a lot of people get into their own suites and maybe where they weren't passionate about selling retail before. Now they are very passionate about selling retail. And it's not because of the money. Sure. The money is like great gravy at the end of the day. It's because they're selling something that they're really passionate about. And they have taken responsibility to go ahead and educate themselves really well about the line. And so I think like the lack of education and also like forcing stylists to like love a product line, maybe that they're not obsessed with or doesn't really fit the culture or the vibe too well. Um, I think that that can definitely create some resentment towards retail. And I think that when these stylists are going out on their own and choosing a line, they're able to like choose something that they really love to talk about and they know will make an impact in their, in their clients' lives. And they can talk about it authentically and passionately versus like so robotically, you know, and therefore their retail sales are amazing. Yeah, it's a great, uh, great perspective uh, for sure. I'm curious, Kara, given that you, you know, own and operate a commission-based salon, but you also own suites. I don't know how much of a, a feeling you get from your suite owners that are renting from you and how they're doing with retail, but do you have some perspective on this topic to, to kind of share from your experiences? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel they either are all in or they're not at all. Okay. And it's kind of they're all really- in or they're all out. Yeah, totally. And it's making that choice because yes, it will be a big investment. But if you're treating that as an additional revenue income, you're going to take it seriously or you're not like there is no point. So I know in Canada, it's different. Like we don't have nearly as many affiliate codes and all of that, where the States has a lot more of that. I'm a firm believer, like if you can't sell someone shampoo, like that's, you didn't do your job, <laughs> you know, like everyone needs shampoo or they have a question or something. It's like, well, this is what I like. I'm always like, don't be weird. Like it's weird if you put something in someone's hair without telling them what it is. And I leave it as simple as that. Like that's freaking weird. So don't be weird, you know, but even in my commission salon, there's people that are making $500 plus every week on retail alone and some that it's $5.20 on their check. So it's like, do you realize like this is so easy? But also I'm a big believer in freedom. So it's like, I will show you. Like there's only so many tools that I can give. And if you don't want to do that, that's totally fine. But know that your consequences are the front desk is going to sell them something and you're going to be mad about it because you didn't do your job, you know, like those kind of things where it's like, yeah. well, I feel like this is a you problem that yet you're feeling bad that you didn't tell them what you put in their hair. So it's really interesting because I feel like whatever you put your energy on grows 
for sure. And the more you're seeing the benefit of it, of course, you're like, oh, okay. And then it's habit. And then you just do it because you're passionate about it. And it's easy when you're not used to it. Of course, it's going to be hard because you're stumbling over your words and you're so, it's like a confidence thing, like anything. Yeah. Do you have any visibility on your suite owners and, and how much they are doing in retail and whether they're carrying inventory in their spaces and, uh, and focusing on it or not? I can kind of like spy and even just watching their social media and stuff. Like you see the ones that for sure are doing well with it and others that maybe they're just getting by or it's not a focus, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because I think it is, you need those different streams of revenue, especially if you're independent. It's, and I stress that to people that are coming, like, please like sell your own retail. That's another huge income. If you can pay your membership fee every week on retail, like you kidding me, that'd be awesome. And you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's a challenge, right? And I, you know, sometimes you might feel like if you don't have the, the self motivation that hunter was sort of explaining to educate yourself about a line that you're super passionate about uh you know and to have the financial know-how to manage an inventory right i mean that's another challenge that if you're just doing it on your own in your space typically you'd have less space for products and how do you carry the right mix uh you know there's a lot that goes into it in order to be truly successful with it and you know my fear is that not enough independents uh you know take the time to you know, to educate themselves properly about not just the, a product line in terms of understanding the line and how to speak about it, how to use it, but also how to manage inventory, right? And I don't know, Gavin, you might see a little bit of that from your standpoint, um, coaching. Yeah, and that's what, you know, when you start to dissect each of the models, I think when the model for self-employment was more of an open salon concept model, where you just had 20 chairs and each individual rented those chairs, the salon owner tended to still carry the retail. Um, so then the salon owner could have the influence. The salon, even though it was a self-employed model, the retail though went to, and this is again, there's always uh, you know one-offs and um, people don't quite run it exactly this way. But I would say in general, that was the model. And so the salon owner determined what the uh, retail, they might carry more different, you know, more lines just because they have different users of those lines, but it still comes down to management, the investment, the promotion of it, the support of it, the education, the budgeting, like it's all still there. But then when you move over to studio suites and you really start to look at studios and suites, this would be a fear I have of our entire industry is my fear is that now you're going more isolated into individual rooms. You don't have the owner like you did in the other model where they carried all the retail. So now my same, I'm going back to my daughter. If she's looking at me saying, dad, I want to go rent a suite. I want to go do that. I'd, I'd support her a hundred million percent. But the startup cost to me is greater than what maybe most self-employed stylists look at. They maybe don't factor that it's going to cost three to $5,000 to outfit the retail portion of their business. And so this is just totally a fear, but the fear would be that a lot of these studios that are popping up everywhere, these suites, how many of them really have an entire retail line, or let's just say the correct 
amount that they should have. Even if it's not just all of one line, that's fine. If it's multiple lines, because they like multiple products, but do they have the correct amount? And so if they don't, then they're missing, like Carol was talking about, a additional revenue source. I honestly think it puts a black eye on the beauty industry. I mean, that might seem like a big thing, but maybe I'm making it out bigger than it is. But all of those experiences of all of the clients, now I think they're going to end up in targets, standing in the aisles, looking at the backs of bottles. Why? Now, I'm just saying this to make the point. But if I could walk up to that person and say, man, um, how come you're here at Target buying your products? They would say something like this. Well, my self-employed stylist just moved over to a studio suite. They didn't have the, the money relatively available to make the investment in the product line. So they didn't share that with me, but I can just kind of pick up on that. And now I'm left to buy my products kind of outside of that experience on my own. Now, again, that probably, you know, there's some people hustling it and, you know, knocking it out of the park with retail. But my fear is there's too many in that that model that it's just it's a choice whether they carry retail or not. Now there is solutions to that which gets exciting like salon interactive to me is a new option for the self-employed model where I might not house it Scott but I'll at least promote salon interactive which is a platform I can send my clients to to purchase and it is a L'Oreal um platform, but at least I'm getting a commission, I believe 20%. I get 20% right off the top of that. I don't have to house it. I don't have to ship it. I don't have, I mean, there's a lot of perks to, you'll lose a little margin versus carrying it yourself. But I think there's also an upside of, I don't have to have the investment. I don't have to deal with maybe the management of it. And that would be my last thing I think in general about retail and just self-employed would be, I think we have to really be careful and cautious with how much additional um, things that self-employed stylists are having to do to manage that business. Social media, online booking, like all of the rescheduling of appointments, the inventory management, the bill paying, the book work, like I get in the education. I get it. That's why I'm saying it. You put all that on like all at once. And that becomes a constant. And that to me is more of the bigger decision outside of money. Do I want to manage those things and do I have the time? So, I mean, it's just, there's, I don't think there's a right or a wrong. It's just what's going to fit my lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Great. Uh, great perspectives, everyone. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I'm going to put somebody on the spot here with a, with a question. Larry, are you up for it? Um, Given you're the one that did not come too much with a, a sort of a salon background in your life growing up or whatnot, uh, but you've had multiple experiences, obviously owning the booth venture salons for, for many, many years, uh, you know, transitioning them into only commission-based salons. And now you're working as a, a summit salon business, you know, consultant as well. So getting that perspective, I want to know, Larry, based on everything that you know from your personal experiences, if all of a sudden you were to become a stylist tomorrow, right? You, you took all your technical training, you were going to go and become a stylist. In which model do you think that you could make the most money in based on everything you know? Um, well, I'm partial to this, this answer and it's the, it's 
it is the reason why I'm passionate about what we do. Um, it would be in the commission-based, and I had to think think about that for a second. But the reason the reason being is all the things that comes with that. So, in my company, the 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 setting of the prices, the raising of the prices, the support of the front desk, the uh, the support of our associates, um, the the training, the being um, connected to the summit and to the um, the proper business models, um, the four hundred one k. You know, in our company, we have a four hundred one k with a four percent match. Um, the ability to become a shareholder. Um, I, I think it's all, I think really it comes down to the things that Gavin was just previously talking about. It's, it's all the things that are now there for you to excel in in a commission-based salon, the things that are there to support you, to help you to excel. And, uh, as opposed to now you have to spend additional time working on those things and additional money to pay for those things. Um, and, you know, and again, the, the, um, the protections and supports that you get from the employment model, again, with 401k, sick leave, vacation pay. Um, so I, I, you know, uh, uh, I could see the, uh, the mindset saying, I want to touch more money by being a, an independent contractor or a booth renter, I can see how that I can see that, uh, that potentially, you know, you're going to touch more money because you, you don't have to, um, you know, it's going to come through you, but on the flip side, I think without all those supports, without all the, uh, without all the systems. and, And again, this is only is predicated off of working for good leadership. So it would yeah, have to be a good good leadership with um, a um, with the correct model in place. Yeah, which unfortunately is a little bit too few and far between sometimes, um, you know, out there. Kara, I'm going to flip the same question to you. Actually, thinking about it, I mean, you were a stylist, you know, for many many years, uh, and then you opened up, you know your salon, you were still a stylist for a while, but I know that you would no longer do hair. You are fully kind of in management leadership mode uh, and you are seeing both sides, the commission-based salon as well as the suite side. If you were to go back to be a stylist today, based on everything that you know from your experiences, which model do you think you could make the most money in? See, I think it's like a tricky question because- That's why I'm asking it. it. Yeah, I know. Cause I'm just like, (laughs) well, I think- that depending on the person, you have to be in a place that aligns with your values and and also what gives you energy. Because there's nothing to say that if you love the management aspect of a suite and that fills you up as well, poof, like you're going to soar. But also... <laughs> You might burn out and then maybe you want to go back to commission where you can just come and go again. Ideally, if you're in an unreal commission salon that supports you and helps you figure out what your main motivator is. But I think just kind of a lot of what I've been coaching too is that financial will always be a motivator, but it's like figuring out what those other motivators are, are more important and your financial is going to come. So that really can change in your lifetime which I think is why I'm so passionate about options because 
when I was, you know, had two babies and I was ready to not be at a commission and be a crazy person. Yes, sweet would have been awesome. And I would have freaking killed it. But now it's almost, you know, you even talking to salon owners now, they're like, I just really want to be a commission stylist, like, or I want to come work at your suite. Like, can I do that? So it's kind of, it does change in a lifetime. I think you really just have to figure out where you are in your life and what fuels you up instead of what drains you, I think is the biggest challenge and how that changes too. Yeah, fair enough. And actually, that actually segues really well into the next question that I wanted to ask. Uh, and I'll direct this to um, to Hunter. Just we're talking about you know lifetime and changes in a lifetime. Hunter, you're still you know in the early stages of your uh, of your career, um, and as we've mentioned, there has been this big shift more towards you know the suites model over the past five to eight years. Uh, but I'm curious to get a sense of how you see the future of our industry. Um, right? How do you see things? progressing not just in the next you know three years but I'm talking more five ten ten years into the future do you think the three models will be sustainable do you see a shift happening uh where do you see evolution coming I honestly have no idea <laughs> but what I can I love your say, honesty I love your honesty yeah I mean like I don't know we'll see right I mean we didn't know there were going to be a pandemic nobody was predicting that 10 years ago right yeah. so I don't yeah. know we I just live in the moment and of course try to predict the near future to be prepared and proactive versus reactive but who am I going to be to sit here and be like oh yeah in 10 years we're going to be doing this right but what I will say is that I am I am I could, I would maybe put down some money that in the next couple of years, people who have moved into suites or who have moved into more independent models will be slightly, I don't think it's going to be like this massive turnover, but I do think that slightly are going to be shifting back because I'm, my education is all based around, you know, being an independent and having all these responsibilities, just like you were talking about, we were talking about and um, making it more sustainable because I was in that space in my own suite where I blew up. I like, I had, I was super successful, but at what cost, right? I was making so much money with more clients than I could handle, but I was working my butt off and it was not sustainable, right? And so what I teach a hairstylist now is how to set up systems to make that sustainable. But if hairstylists in these suites either don't get, don't take, you know, good business education for themselves, don't start to understand how to get new clients through the doors and to like have price increases to help with profit margin and, and inflation and, and demand. And if they don't figure out how to manage their time properly, then yeah, they're going to start to get sick of it. And they're going to go back to the commission, the commission model. It is what it is. But I also think that, you know, these suites, they don't want to lose their renters. And I think that these suites are trying harder and harder and harder to help these uh, stylists get their education. And I mean, I'm an educator out here marketing to those suite stylists as well. And there are plenty of other, you know, education. There's plenty of education that's coming out that can help these solo stylists if they're going out and looking for it. And if they're not, then yeah, in a couple of years, I could totally see a slight shift back for sure. Nice. Okay. Anyone else have some thoughts, maybe a little crystal ball in front of you uh, to uh, have a prediction for the future of our of our industry? I think Hunter, even though he didn't want to cast that vision, I think he's dead on. Um, here's an example of it already happening. In Larry's state, Larry could probably talk to us about how he sees um, the pendulum. Like a lot of change, I think it's there's probably something 
there's probably a term for this, but when it swings one direction, it often swings really far in that direction. And then it kind of, as it settles, whatever the trend is, whatever that thing that represents the swing, it kind of comes back into kind of more order. And so California, because of the pandemic, oh my goodness, the amount of self-employed stylists that you can understand, they were shut down eight months. So eight months of disorder in their model, in their business, a lot of them were like, I want to get back to an employee-based model. And, and I think they're just like in everything. Forget about what we're talking about with the beauty industry. Everybody's had things shift in their lives in the last two, two and a half years. So I think some of that was some people already had one foot out. They were already thinking of, you know, I'm behind in my taxes or I'm already longing to have that team group kind of environment, whatever those things were. Um, but then the pandemic came. And I, so California is already... I think starting to swing a bit back to more um, 10 years ago, five years ago, you wouldn't have had as many people saying knocking on, you know, people's doors like Larry saying, I actually think I want to uh, become an employee again. And then the other thing that's interesting is the summit tuitions, our summit, our cornerstone um, four day program, one of the fastest growing attendees. And this has been this way even prior to the pandemic is the self-employed salon owner. And so here's the, I can see headwinds up ahead and it's what Hunter's talking about. And that is, if we can't get the self-employed stylist to really kind of like in a way, there's not a choice. They've got to grow their business. They've got to keep increasing prices. They got to keep um, keeping up with inflation. Here's what scares me is that's kind of out of our control. We can only encourage it, influence it, educate to it and, and do our best. But when you own a self-employed suite studio salon company, one of the number one reasons why you profit is the amount of rent that you're charging back to your self-employed stylist. So we've, I've seen this for 20 years in the whole, no matter what model or hybrid self-employed studio suite, when there isn't pricing power to that um, landholder, like the leaseholder who leases all those spots out, you're really in a predicament because now what do I do? My landlord is raising my rents on all of my space. And now I have to go back to all of my individual self-employed tenants and tell them, Hey, I need to increase all of your rents because I'm just passing it on through to you. And that's where I can't name names, but I can just tell you, Scott, we at summit have some of the large, like the known national self uh, studio salon suite companies have already been reaching out to us in inquiring about our services. Why? Because the, they see it up ahead. If I can't get these renters to increase their incomes, I'm dead in the water. I'm stuck. How do I increase rents? And if I do, it's scary because I might lose, you know, so many of them and, and I can't afford to do that. So I think it's going to take leadership either way, no matter what model. But that to me is, I think, to be kind of understood is you probably will see some migrate. And I think you're going to keep keep seeing this um, hustle economy. I love it. I tell that to here, I tell that to my employees. So here's what maybe is happening on the other side. Employee salon owners, we're not just sitting around, just you know, not changing. So what's happening? 
Well, more and more of the summit salons, just using that kind of pot of clients, they're starting to do no like zero schedules for people who generate a certain dollar volume. So like Sarah, you generated 100K last year behind the chair in service sales. Guess what, Sarah? You can make any hour, any schedule, anything you want because you've earned the right because you're in a different bracket. And so now in uh, salon owners that of employee companies are getting how they're going to retain um, their staff longer by programs like that. Benefits. Brent, Larry talks about benefits. It's the truth. It's like you can make a lot of money in self-employed, but you got to pay for your vacations. You got to pay for your retirement. You got to pay for your education, um, things like that. And I think if you sat with enough, I'd be interested to be in a panel like that. How many out of 10 self-employed stylists are really putting money back for the future? And so I just think all these models are going to keep existing. I don't see one going away, but I think all of them are going to 20 years from now, 10 years from now, there's going to be turbulence inside of each one of them. And the people who are the market leaders in every one of the models are going to keep winning. And the people who don't want to grow, don't want to change, don't want to learn, they're going to keep losing. And losing maybe isn't as bad, you know, it sounds like, oh, I lost, but they're just not going to get ahead. They're just, you know, they're going to have some more, you know, trials and tribulations. But I don't see any of them going away. If there's one that's kind of going to disappear over time, it'll be the rental salon, like I told you uh, last week. It'll be the salon that's just like an open salon with 20 chairs who still offers rent on each chair. If I owned, or if you're one of those owners listening to this, as one of the partners of Summit, what I'd be telling you is you got to figure out how to um, partition off all those chairs to have studios because I don't see that coming back where stylists are going to say, oh, great. I want to work in a big open format where I'm, I can't control conversations around me. I can't control like health with, with uh, the pandemic. I think that put the whole PPP or PPE kind of in. And you your know, personal, personal space, right? Personal yeah. space. Yep. So that'd be the model that I really could see um, falling to the wayside, but we'll have studios now to replace those open formats. Yeah. When you talked about retention a few times in there, you know, retention issues are real. And we've, we've often talked about it in the past in commission-based salons where for the owner, you know, they're having staff retention issues because, you know, staff wants to leave to go towards, you know, these more independent offerings. But the reality is you guys have made some great points is that, you know, the owners of these suites and, you know, Kara, you being one of them, I'm sure that you're experiencing this, although it might be newer, there's going to be retention issues there as well, especially if you're, you're not actually doing anything to help support these people and you just think you're collecting rent. You know what? That's not a, a golden goose that's going to just be producing those eggs forever. You have to be also thinking about retention. What can I do in this suites model to make sure that those independent, you know, renters are experiencing success and enjoying the, you know, the environment of working here to be able to stay. I mean, it's just the reality to make any model sustainable uh, really in the future. Anyways, we're coming up on some time here. We're just going to finish off with one last question. Um, 
because, you know, Gavin, you've been giving some advice to your nine-year-old daughter throughout this episode, which I think is nice. So we probably have your perspective a little bit, but maybe we can come back to, uh, to some others. And if you were going to tell a class of students in cosmetology school that are graduating in two months time about which model would be the best one for them to consider coming out of school, what would you tell them? Who wants to start? Um, I mean, hands down commission, and I would strongly discourage I actually, I do, I go into beauty schools, <laughs> I go into beauty schools and I strongly discourage trying to go independent too quickly, strongly. Um, and Tell I us why. always, because you don't have the, the stability, the education, the support, you don't have the experience, like, and you need to have all of those things going on out onto your own. Like you need to know what the hell is going on. You need to know what you're doing and you need to have a base clientele. You need to have the training. And also you need to have just the exposure to other people in this industry and like what client, what client like services actually look like going in and out of the door. And you need to see what leadership looks like, you know, because uh, somebody said it earlier, like the salon owner is not there when you're when you're an independent, right? So you got to be your own salon owner now. Like you got to hold yourself accountable. And if you don't even know like what that even looks like, like what you have to hold yourself accountable to, right? Then you're just gonna, you're just gonna flail. It's not gonna be cute. So I always 100%, if you're right out of school, spend some damn time in a commission salon first. Kara <laughs> uh, or Larry, you have anything to add, uh, add to that? Yeah, I agree. Commission for sure. And I think it's kind of either going into a commission salon that has it super clear for you, like what you should expect, what kind of training you're getting. Or sometimes it's also okay to go into a shit show of a salon, excuse my language, because I feel like those people also that then realize that that's not for them, that then come to a salon that has those things, like that's honestly have been a few of my like biggest climbers is that they've been legit traumatized before. And when I say traumatized, like it takes a year to get them okay in you and me meetings when my you and me's are just like, so how are you? And they're still just like, you know, so it's kind of sad, but it's also then you know what you want, what you don't want also. So I think being clear on either of those things is good. I bid them all good luck, which is terrible, but that's another conversation. Yeah, for sure. Larry, anything additional or are you uh, kind of the same track? Uh, I, I love what both of them had to say. That's so funny. I, I just agree 100%. I've interviewed maybe a thousand, you know, probably maybe more. Um, and, and one of the first questions I always ask them is, is what's your long-term plan? Uh, and they, they tend to say my long-term plan is to own my own salon or go into a suite. And then I explain to them our system and, you know, um, the level system, the pricing, the, the, the PDMs, the one-on-one -on -one meetings, uh, kind of our, you know, our, uh, our culture and our practices and all those sorts of things. And by the end of the meeting, we are always in agreement. Yeah, three to five years, maybe more of leadership, of learning these concepts. 
And um, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty simple. It's it, the good leadership, the good systems, and get those ingrained in you. Uh, make sure you're charging your worth, but but even making the adjustments for inflation and all the different things, and starting getting your 401k and your your retirement started and all those things. And then you're in position to make that decision. And it's, it's, you know, and then, and then let some, some go one way and some go the other, but it's, I think, I think for sure, I think we're all on the same page where you should start, you know, knowing that you, you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, totally, totally makes sense. Well, let's hope that, you know, uh, listeners, obviously we've got all sorts of listeners, uh, owners, uh, you know, uh, hopefully we're, tapping into the, you know, cosmetology students uh, as well, that everybody can kind of listen and appreciate. I've had a ton of fun on this session and I really, really uh, am grateful for all of you sharing your, your experience, your thoughts, your uh, opinions, and, um, you know, some actual factual data as well. Hopefully our listeners have been able to benefit and have different perspectives. I think it's very clear there's not one, you know, right solution uh, in this industry. It really comes down to, you know, uh, finding the right fit. Um, you know, for, for you as an individual, uh, in terms of what you need, what brings you fulfillment, what brings you happiness, uh, that's going to, you know, be a model that's going to allow you to be successful and to fuel yourself, uh, you know, with that, but ultimately take the time to, to educate yourself, take the time to, to learn, uh, you know, to listen and talk to people, you know, who have been through the various experiences and get the information that you need around you, uh, to be able to make the right decision. Unfortunately, you know, you're not stuck in one thing forever. You can definitely, you know, you can definitely shift, but there are resources out there that want to help you. Uh, everyone here on the call, as you've heard, is also doing lots of work, you know, outside of their own world to be helping, you know, the community, both, you know, Gavin and, and Larry are, you know, work with Summit Salon Business Center that does just amazing work in terms of helping to, to coach and, and train businesses. Uh, Hunter's doing a lot of education work with uh, you know a lot of independence uh, stylists and whatnot so i would highly encourage you we're going to have in the show notes uh, all the contact information so you can reach out to everyone here if you have questions about uh, you know follow-ups with them in terms of what they do and a lot of support they might be able to bring to you if you have additional questions about your particular situation and your particular model uh, just take another moment to say thank you so much to to all of you for joining and participating with us today uh, it's been a an absolute pleasure and hopefully we'll be able to carry on more of these discussions uh, you know in the future to help raise awareness and, and talk about some of the important directions that our industry is going and who knows we'll check the the glass the crystal ball predictions that you all made and see how that uh, <laughs> see how that comes to fruition in uh, in a little while so thanks uh, thanks again check the show notes and uh, we'll look forward to talking to uh, to everyone on our next episode thank you so much for listening to the salon scoop podcast this show is produced by Salon SOS, a digital marketing agency by industry professionals for industry professionals. If you want simple and affordable solutions for any of your salon marketing needs, such as websites, client loyalty, Google search rankings, social media, or more, come visit us at salonsos.ca or on Instagram at salon.s.o.s. If you want to hear more great episodes like this and help us continue to bring the industry content, it would mean so much to us if you would support us in one of the following ways. Share this episode with just one other industry professional and either rate our show on Spotify or write us a quick review on Apple Music. We want to hear your feedback. 
If you have follow-up questions or ideas for future episodes, please reach out. DM us on Instagram at that salon.s.o.s or hit us up on our website at salonsos.ca. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now go get your hustle on, keep smiling, and we'll catch you on our next episode.